Welcome to Money on Tap. Money on Tap, your personal finance headquarters, where we bring out the professionals experience and some fun in what we call three-dimensional investing, utilizing insurance, brokerage, and fee-based planning. That's what we do on this show. We look at all sides of the issues, and we bring a fully independent planning perspective to the table. Welcome back. You are listening to Money on Tap. My name is Seth Crossman, And I'm Ben Brayshaw. And I'm Dan Michelon. Who is that guy you say to yourself, Dan Michelon? He's a partner with us at Brayshaw Financial Group. And Dan, it is so good to have you with us today. Very glad to be here. Thanks, Seth. So I, li- we, uh... I like having Dan on the show, Seth. I'm sorry. I like it. Are you leaving? Are you heading out? Are you apologizing for Dan? Did I just hear you apologize for Dan for being on the show? Dan, forgive him. I'm not. I'm for not apologizing. I'm glad he's back. Oh, I'm hoping to be the regular third wheel here. <laughs> that's that's what we're gonna put on uh, your desk. Hoping to be third wheel here. <laughs> just that's my goal. <laughs> I want to be a third wheel. <laughs> Well, you, folks, you are no third wheel to us. We want you to be be confident in that as you join us at Money on Tap today. You can call us at 855-226-8551. Folks, we have a doozy here for you today. We can't wait to jump into it. Uh, of course, we're going to do some money in the news. We'll get to that in just a second. But this is going to be a Trump versus Biden show. Uh, that's not polarizing at all. And we... But we're going to grab this information and take a take a look at market performance and election years. You know, what is the what does the data tell us and what are the platforms that uh, are being proposed and and what is the potential outcomes that we have coming down the pipe? This is a Trump versus Biden show for anybody out there interested, worth your time to stick around. But before we get uh, down that road, we're going to jump into money in the news. Well, the first article we have today, which is, uh, which you know, we, Seth, we just did a show on the Dow. We just did a show on the pricing of the Dow, the 30 stocks of the Dow, and now we got some big shakeups in the Dow. Ben, I got to, I got to tell you that you say just, but it, it, it was like February. Was it February? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. I guess, I guess it's just time flies. So what can I say? But, um. The Dow, as we all know, is thirty the thirty largest U.S. stocks essentially, and uh, they dumped some big boys out of it. They took three companies out of the Dow. Now, if you look back, we had did a show about how GE had been removed from the Dow after I think over a century of being in it. But Exxon, which has been in the Dow for over a century, was just removed. Pfizer and Raytheon, and then replaced with. Three well-known companies, Salesforce, Amgen, and Honeywell. It's interesting. They dubbed it, you know, kind of out with the old and in with the new. You know, it's a, a reshaping of the Dow 30 with some kind of more modern companies that represent the more modern economy. You know, I noticed, Seth, too, Dan, in the article that it said that they're actually saying this has all to do with Apple deciding to split its stock, which is Boom. really kind of a, a crazy thing of how they move everything around. 
tremendous effect that largest company has, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Ford, well, and we talked about that in the, in the, oh gosh, money in the news. It was either last week or the week before because it was news. It was Apple's four to one stock split and it wasn't like they had never done this before. It was some, you know, but the, the landscape of what, how that changes, um, the weighting and the effect of a, of an index like the Dow, it, it has an effect. It definitely is, has a significance. So when, taking a look at the companies and how they balance the the Dow. This is this is the solution that they're coming up with. And Exxon, which go back, what, 20 years, largest company in the world at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's lost. It's had, what was it, the largest market cap? Yeah. I think in history, you know, and just lost 40% of its value this year. Yeah. So is, is the question is, is, is it a short-term solution to a, um, a law, a bigger equation, or do we see Exxon come back at some point, or is this the, is this what it, we 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 get to look forward to moving forward? And I would I would argue that tech is is completely changing the landscape of of everything moving forward as we see things in our economy at the at the moment. Tech is booming, and you know, is it a bubble or not? I don't see I don't see how tech can be considered a bubble again when it is such a massive driver with everything that we're doing yeah it would be hard to see that change i mean considering the fact that just those few handful of tech companies make up 25 percent of the s&p 500 yeah yeah no that's 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 dead on you know i think the other the other piece of this is that you know with exxon out chevron you know cvx is going to be the only energy real play in the dow which is kind of surprising um I, you know, it just it's a it's a big deal. I think, but Salesforce, as we all know, is a huge player in the, um, you know, a cloud. It's just a cloud computing company. But I, I think I think the thing about the pandemic and the, and the thing that this move really does define is the Dow is attempting to really say, hey, this is this is an index that we respect as kind of what America looks like. You know, what does the market look like for America? That kind of thinking and. And and with this pandemic, yeah, I do think we go back to kind of a a new version of normal. And I, I hate to say that, but and we're because we're such a social, you know, a social being that yeah, we're going to go out to dinner, we're going to do the things that we used to do. But I do think that companies have a more remote, general infrastructure than they've ever had before. Continuing on, even after post COVID, post you know vaccine and everyone's fine and COVID will never affect you. I think we will get to something where it, it, it you know, we would have a lot of people come back to work, come back to an office, but I think there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, just still work remotely, whether it's three days a week or two days a week or, or something along those lines, because it's just more effective for them and the companies and, and the companies are able to save money by downsizing the amount of office space they have. I, I just think overall the the tech is, not going to completely just subside and go away or back to what it was at. It's, it's definitely going to be enhanced. So the three companies that are coming out, uh, Exxon, Pfizer, and Raytheon, uh, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, and what does Raytheon do again? I just like the name, so I kind of just never get past it. The Aerospace and Defense. Thank you. I've, I've, with a name that awesome, that's what they do. Well, you know, Honeywell is is their replacement. I mean, they're aerospace right. in, in an industrial manufacturer. So, but Raytheon's a great name. You know, what's interesting <laughs> is you know, 
for for years and years and years the the size of the economy and the best peg we had i was just thinking was the dow jones that made up the 30 made up of 30 companies and then we move forward to the s&p 500 a little kind of a larger look and then the nasdaq came out and that was 2500 companies and now when we look back at it with these changes in the dow and understanding where the economy is we're back in the spot where this entire economy has been driven by six or seven companies yeah, I mean the entire. I mean, almost every version of every index is being driven by these. You know, these some level of these companies or how they impact the smaller companies that provide. You know, whether it's the the chips for them or something along those lines. So Pfizer getting replaced by a by a pharmaceutical bio biopharmaceutical company, and Raytheon getting replaced by pretty much the same sector, right? So the the big story there with Exxon coming out, which is the um, energy sector being replaced by technology. And that's one of the reasons that we really focused on that. And so that's a changing of the guard. Yeah, I'm sure Amgen's loving it right now. Taking a look at the stock. Yes, they are. <laughs> so you guys, Warren Buffett, can we do a money in the news without that name sliding in here? It's hard to keep him. It's hard to keep him on the sidelines, but he's, he's here again. And he's, uh, he's telling us possibly, one of uh, what the article states is is one of the most important notes in history of how money now works. This is an article by Tim Denning. Go ahead and give it a like or follow. We're just going to briefly touch that that uh, that Warren Buffett is saying the value of money you have is changing, and that debt and what it means is fundamentally changing. What does that have? Why why would Warren Buffett be it be changing his perspective perspective on debt today well i think what's been puzzling to him and he acknowledges that in the article is that regardless of how deeper and deeper into debt we get for the first time in history we just resolve that issue by printing more money and that brings into play his questions around inflation the value of a dollar purchasing power moving forward you know he's we've seen him take a different tact in his investment portfolio moving into more secure things like T-bills and gold for the first time. Yeah, I know. I I think where I'm a little surprised by this is that, you know, and I was saying this to you guys, I mean, is this this somebody who's just getting older and literally putting their money under the mattress and saying, I've I've made my money, I made my mistakes in financials and and aero (laughs) and airlines and just kind of bouncing back down? Yeah, he's... uh... Warren has gone against his traditional grain um, over the last several years. Like you said, it's, is, is he, what, what is it about Warren at this point in time in his life that he is changing the cards that he has held so um, consistently? And, um, and, it's, and it's hard to say. I mean, we could speculate on Warren and, and is he just kind of run out of steam? Is he just, uh, you know, just trying to take things off the table that, that, traditionally would have held long term because maybe he doesn't see himself having that that uh that timeline i mean as a human being as i mean that's who he is as a human being and that that happens over time is the closer that you kind of get to exit it's hard to say but he's definitely doing a lot of things that, that he traditionally has said don't ever do that well he makes one really good point that you know i don't think anyone can deny which is inflation and inflation is that kind of hidden tax on your money, and that's that's something that he's pointing out to the average investor that you know we're not really quantifying today because as you see your portfolio rise with this market and 
things may be coming back together for you financially in your 401k or whatever you're investing in as a listener, we don't know how that spending power is going to change 20 or 30 years from now. And that's kind of that thing we just don't really understand how the impact is so heavy on our investments. Moving on. I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with some of the things that we talk about on the end of the news. I just got to say that before we get to this article. I definitely have a I definitely have a swing on this feeling here. There's a part of me that's a little maybe jealous, but the other part says totally wrong. Why don't you tell us what what are we even talking about, Ben? Well, um, this gentleman, I think his name is David Hine, um, is uh, he's being accused of buying a Lamborghini with his company's COVID nineteen relief money. I guess the guy owns a moving company with. Uh, 70 employees, and looks like he bought a beautiful red Lamborghini. <laughs> we got, how much did he get? Like $7 million or something like that? I think it was $4 million. $4 million? Yeah, it's crazy money. Yeah. $315,000 car, though. That's, uh, that's one way to stimulate the economy, I'd say. Not the U.S. economy, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, what does that what does that work like when you walk into Lamborghini and you're like, yeah, that's the one I want. I mean, is that a is that a commissionable sale? Are they a are they a um a, are they a salary employee? <laughs> what's the what's the margin on one of those? I, I don't know, Seth. <laughs> I haven't sold a Lamborghini, nor have I been able to buy one. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> No comment. You're staring yes. at me. Listen, this is totally wrong. I mean, come on. But th- this wasn't the only thing he spent his money on, which is horrible because this is just the worst, you know, most of the... But uh, they're saying he gave like $15,000 to his mom and $7,000 trip here and $4,000 trip here. And all these things are out of, I guess, financial character on some level for what his company has actually done and uh or made yeah, I, I believe it was a moving company right so yeah. he's the proud new owner of diamonds and and jewelry and uh, a shopping spree at Saks and a new lamborghini maybe he'll admit to have st- stolen those <laughs> and didn't <laughs> use the government's money which which is what's better you can feel free to move that my way i'll take a, take every little bit of that so that that all of these things are, uh, supposedly were bought with the ppp funds that came out um and it, it, it's interesting that this is an individual who we who were potentially seeing go out and buy some things for themselves personally and get called out for it but the the do you remember right when the PPP was rolled out how many and uh, the stimulus was rolled out how many of these corporations and sports enterprise like what was it the Lakers that had was were they were given millions upon millions of dollars in in PPP and stimulus and people were at uh, up in arms, like, really, the Lakers need that money? Yeah. The Lakers? Well, they're not the only people. I mean, there's been, been a bunch of companies that have paid it back because it was, you know, they were getting so much flack for having taken it. And uh, it's it's complicated. I mean, this is definitely not in the spirit of why the money was given. And who knows? Maybe he had bought it long before and he was waiting for delivery. I don't know. I don't know the background here. But uh, I think if you're either getting a Lamborghini you already purchased or buying one after the fact, probably didn't need the money. Who knows? Maybe this is the kind of stuff that Buffett just can't get his head around, you know, this type of expenditure, you know, free Lamborghinis from the government. Yeah, right. People, as promised, we are going to talk about two candidates, their platforms, 
the potential outcomes and what has the market told us in the past. We've got a ton of data that supports your understanding what the outcomes can look like. It's a Trump versus Biden show. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. We'll be right back at Money on Tap. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. Hi, my name is Seth Crussman, partner with Brayshaw Financial Group and one of the co-hosts of Money on Tap. One of the biggest concerns and largest expenses people face today is taxes. Without thoughtful planning, taxes can destroy future retirement dollars, eliminating the possibility of a timely retirement or dreams of what you want retirement to look like. If you're like most people, you're getting closer and closer to retirement, and you may be wondering if you're taking the right steps. Will my income be enough? Will rising taxes force me to give up my dreams? How does inflation factor into all of this? These are real concerns, and you're not alone. Putting a plan around your financial future is what we do. If you have questions when it comes to your financial security, and if you're looking for a personalized solution, contact us at Brayshaw Financial Group, 855-226-8551. It's time for you to start getting answers to your questions. Headquartered in Bedford, New Hampshire, Brayshaw Financial has offices across the country. We'd love the opportunity to show you how we can help. There's absolutely no cost or obligation to meet with us. Call us at 855-226-8551. 855-226-8551. Now back to Money on Tap with Ben and Seth. Welcome back. You are listening to Money on Tap. We have had a lot of fun so far with money in the news and uh, and what's on the what's on the horizon for us here at Money on Tap is a Trump versus Biden show. And we uh, we love to take a look at um, all sides of the issue here. That's one of the things that um, we've continued to maintain from the beginning. You guys, we want to take a look at all sides of uh, you, your retirement plan, and it's about three-dimensional investing. So we cannot pass up this opportunity to take a look at two different platforms, two different candidates, and what does the history tell us uh, about presidential elections and election seasons? Yeah, this is this is the stuff that gets everyone wrapped up. Like, what are the statistics? What are the odds? What What is everything that I should be doing if Trump got in, Biden got in? Uh, you know, what's what's the next few years look like? And how does that work? And, you know, we've got a, a nice list of, of information and, and things to think about. And I, I preface the entire show myself by saying, this may not be normal, considering the fact that we're coming out of a global pandemic. So I think some of these statistics are kind of like buyer beware. Don't do anything based on these statistics, but it's really good to have some kind of general views on on that. And, and we're going to framework the show a little bit today. One thing that uh, I'm really excited about with Dan here today is we're going to talk a little bit about general, kind of the general overview or statistics around either a re-election or an incumbent getting knocked out. You know, what does that look like financially, traditionally? I think then we're going to jump into what, is, what does it look like with a Trump re-election or uh, what does it look like with Biden as, uh, as the incumbent gets thrown out 
Um, and then also we're just going to kind of come back on everything and really talk about, you know, the crisis of what a disputed election might really look like, because there's so much conversation about mail-in ballots and fraud and, you know, Hillary stating, you know, telling Biden not to concede. I mean, there's just lots of stuff around this that's, you know, kind of out of the spirit of, of how the U.S. government has, you know, or the presidential elections have been handled for the last few hundred years. You know, I mean, usually there's a, there's a, a fair concede and there's a, a smooth transition of power. And, and what might that do to the market? So, um, so with that, I'm going to start off with, with one particular stat, and then I'm going to just hand it over to my partners here a little bit too. But um, when, a new, when a new party comes into power, so if Biden, if Biden happens to overthrow Trump, um, the analysts have found that the stock market gains an average of about 5% on a, a mid-election cycle. Um, but when a president is reelected, uh, the stock market has returned a little bit higher, about 6.5%, which is just an interesting comparison. And I think that's just kind of more of like feeling comfortable about more of the same, maybe, guys? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably a, a big piece of it. Um, you know, there's always fear of change in, in, in this particular election cycle. You couldn't find two more polar opposite candidates, uh, both in in terms of their platform, their views on taxation, and the industries, frankly, that their policies favor. I think some of the interesting data that I'm looking at here, which is uh, from Schwab, uh, it's a great resource, I think, as far as what are the, what are the statistics telling us, is that um, not only what you articulated there as far as an incumbent uh, being kind of overthrown or I like that. I like overthrown. Like they, they got ousted. Yes, that's 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 how that worked. So the the market performing positive in both scenarios, and it's a and it's a it's a percentage difference in either one of those scenarios. And I think that's the backbone of what the market has given us is this per, is this understanding that over time it will go up. Right. We have pullbacks and we have seasons and we have these places where the, the market is is lately violent in terms of how quickly it will drop and how quickly it can come back. Over time, we have a positive outcome, more positive with the return of a seated president than the incumbent coming in or excuse me, the um, the new the new uh, president coming in. But if you take a look at some of the other numbers there in this uh, this art in, in the, the numbers that we have from Schwab is that the two calendar years following an election, they tended to be slightly less positive. However, the average annual returns of 5.8 percent and 4.5 percent respe- uh, respectively. It's the third calendar year after an election that historically has been. That's been the juice. That's been the most fruitful ending in a positive territory 82% of the time with an average annual return of 13.7%. So in terms of why does the market do what it does? And the market responds really well to understanding what is going on. When the market says and takes a look around and says, we get it, we're in it responds very well. And I think that's one of the things that that third year can typically 
do or give us as far as that reflection on how does the mar- market respond to whatever's going on around us. As long as it knows what's going on, it's going to do well. I think key to that point, Seth, is you know really the one instance where there is concern following an election is if, in fact, it's been a disputed election. And, and Ben alluded to the fact that we've heard from both parties some potential elements of, of how they intend to behave, you know, depending upon which way this thing goes. But in the year 2000, if you recall, there was some dispute around uh, the, the mail-in ballots and, and how things went down in Florida, and that suspended the, the result for a little bit of time. And the effect that had is, in fact, the S&P was down 6% in those first two weeks following the election, and the Dow was down 5% in that same two-week period. Now, after that, in the, when the election was decided, volatility settled out. But for the year, the S&P remained down 9%. Yeah, I mean, a disputed election scenario is a real problem for for our country. I mean, there's just no, there's just no two ways about it. I think, I think the thing that I look at inside this this whole piece is just trying to understand the overall odds of what what the market looks like, right? Because we're we're not voting, we're we're not investing based on one vote. You know, we're investing based on long term statistics, likelihood of of how the economy is going to move forward. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about technology. How does that look like? What does that play into our future? And, you know, the, the one statistic in that Schwab article that we have here is um, 17 of the past 23 elect- presidential elections years, 74% of the time, essentially, the market is up during the election year. And the average is about 7.1%, which is, which is very positive. It doesn't even matter what happens on the outcome. 74% of the time, the market's positive during the election year. And and when the election happens in November, right, we still have almost two full months of the remaining year. So that gives some good exposure for people who are, you know, very concerned about how the election came out to move their money out and cause, you know, tremendous downturn. But that doesn't seem to happen the majority of the time. And I, I think that's a pretty, pretty good indicator that just the election itself is not a long-term decision factor for a lot of investors. I also think that when you look at the preceding years that this article talks about, it brings together a couple of of really interesting points. You know, one of them is that in the the year following the election, and then the next following year, as Seth had mentioned, that 5.8% or 4.5% returns, that is still happening the majority of the time. We're still having positive returns, no matter what the scenario is long term, which is continuing to show that upward progress and movement. I think the one piece that just really says to me, man, I really got to get my money in, is that year three, that third year, right before that election year is when the market just seems to just 82% of the time, it's up on an average of 13, over 13%. Yeah, and speaking about that third year following the election, and keep in mind what else is going on, the midterm Senate elections would have just taken place. So from a regulatory perspective and and for corporations that make up the economy, they have a pretty good handle on, at least for that 12-month period, what the lay of the land looks like. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's exactly right on. I mean, that's, that's the piece of the election that 
I mean, the markets, you know, as an average investor, a lot of people say to me, like, I just don't know what's going to happen or how this is going to play out. But the, the truth is, is that the big companies have all these things running in the background of every software program they have, right? And they know the midterms. They know they know what an incumbent will do or this, that, or the other thing. But there's there's a lot of... They, they they generally know, hey, listen, this is what we have to be prepared for, and this is how we're going to hedge it. So one of the questions I had, Dan, uh, was this. You, you talked about the 2000 election, uh, and if I'm trying to remember who was running against Bush at that time. Do you remember? That was Gore, Al Gore. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, that's right. It was Gore. Vice President Gore was running against Bush. So there was a dispute at that time, right? What else happened in the year 2000? Tech bubble. That's an interesting correlation. Yes. And I think we have something in, in, in likeness and in trying to get likeness to likeness here with the coronavirus and potentially a, uh, an election uh, kerfuffle or de- debacle with the nobody being able to get to the polls to poll in person. Now, I can't tell you the last and, and plus there's the the. The, the mail-in ballots being as slow as possible at the moment, too. But um, can we tell or read into this one direction or another what's going to happen? And the answer, I think, is no, we, we, we just we don't. And you gave us some great data there that supported potentially what's go- what, what we could look at in the short term. The question I think that we that we first want to ask is, are we going to invest are we investors? Are we long-term or are we short-term investors? And I think the data that really supports the, the what we would say is that, uh, yes, yes. I mean, historically, you're looking at roughly a 5% return, which is, you know, do you want that or not? Or do you just wait around? Do you, I mean, do you have another place where you're going to get that? Okay, great. Go get it. Are you just waiting around for that third year? For the average, 82% of the time, that average of 13%, 13.7%. No, we're long term in this whole thing. And so I think the the question that we always want to come back to is, yes, we're going to we're going to continue with our plan, which is supported by the data. And we're going to continue to invest. One of the things that I come back to as well is, do you remember the last election? What happened uh, like the night of or the like the day of? Oh, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Was that intense? Yeah, the market crashed overnight. Oh, like almost a thousand points, which doesn't sound like a lot anymore, right? Because the market's just all over the place. But I mean, in the last whatever six months, a thousand point move is like, oh, it moved a thousand points, you know. But overnight, it was down. I think nine hundred and change that night. Rebounded and was positive. I was five or six hundred or another nine hundred. I can't remember. It was like a, it was almost a two thousand point swing or fifteen hundred point swing, right? Dan? It's funny when I was getting ready for the show and doing a little bit of research on you know some of the talking points we'd use today. I ran across an article from 2016, and I forget the source of it, but it was, you know, it was right at the top in Google, so you think it might have been uh, a worthy publication. But the, uh, the analyst there said he predicts with 100% certainty a 50% drop in the market if Trump wins. Wow. Interesting, right? It, that's huge. And I think it was interesting like, what you said, Ben, that 1,000-point drop at that, at, uh, at that time. That was when the the news was saying Hillary won, Hillary won, Hillary yeah. won. I mean, that was when the market was dropped. As soon as the the swing happened with Trump was winning, the market had that full recovery. But that's a very scary statement. And I have actually we've alluded to that a little bit in the conversation of what would happen to the market if Trump wins, because you know what we've seen with the riots right now, it's like 
I mean, there's protesters and there's rioters. I don't have a lot of respect for rioters. Um, protesters execute with inside the law. I'm totally fine with it. Um, but I, I just think that the rioters just, I think this gets bad. I think people get very fearful what's going to have these cities. I mean, Seth, you're over by Portland. I mean, I'm hearing people say that Portland and Seattle are, you know, probably 20 to 30 year recovery plans now. I don't know if that's true, but that's a that's a scary incident now. If we have massive riots, I mean, cities generate more jobs than anywhere else in our in our country. I was listening to this on the news yesterday, actually, and um, you know we need to be champions of our cities because they are the ones that provide all, a lot of jobs. I mean, between waiters and waitresses and um, people cleaning bathrooms, or you know the hotels or there's just so many jobs in our cities and as the cities to get destroyed and people flee the cities, the jobs drop drastically. And that's a huge issue for our long-term employment issues. And, you know, one person was saying, and uh, one person was saying that, you know, New York is, is really in a tough, tough, tough spot. And Jerry Seinfeld was actually criticizing the guy. And I was listening to all of this, but just the point that if we have Trump reelected and it does cause crazy riots and destroys more of our cities. It just creates a longer recovery time for us as a country. Yeah, you, that, that service work, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do remotely, uh, but service work isn't really one of them. You know, you, you need to be present. You need to be there taking care of your customers. And the impact there, if, if there truly is that flight from cities and, and the retail world in general, I mean, it's just scary what that impact could be. Yeah, there's a lot on the ropes, uh, for sure. I mean, travel doesn't happen without moving, moving across the country. They haven't figured out how to solve that one for us yet or across, you know, gl- global spots. I, I mean, geez, are, you want to go to Hawaii? Good Have luck. you taken your first virtual vacation yet, Seth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, we need help. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> So one of the one of the statistics I'm going to move on to more more numbers. One of the statistics that I thought kind of amazing. I had no idea this one. This one really this one really surprised me. The the total return of the S and P 500 has averaged 57.4 percent under Democratic presidential administrations versus 16.6 percent under Republicans. That's not one that's getting out there a whole lot, is it? No, but I'm gonna I'm gonna allude to the fact that it's probably the Democratic benefit of the Republican work, and then it's the Republicans fixing the Democratic work. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you work so hard to get that pendulum swinging back the other way that by the time you finally exit office, it's it's well on its way. Correct. And enjoy that. Yeah. But that's but that's the accusation of every presidential candidate that's coming and going, right? I well, we did hear it so often that Trump credits Obama for the economy, correct? Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That, that seems to fit the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Everyone says he's benefiting from Obama's work, <laughs> vice versa. So it's all the same story. But it is pretty surprising that when you have a Democratic, pre- I saw that too, and I was like, wow, that is a big difference: fifty-seven point four versus sixteen point six. That's a big, big deal. You know, I think. I think this was probably one of the more interesting pieces. And, and after we after I do the statistics, Dan, I want to run into the sector conversation about which sectors potentially benefit, whether Trump's in office or Biden's in office. I think we can do that right after our break. But the last, uh, the last statistic here that's interesting is that when the S&P 500 has risen 
in the three months before an election, the incumbent party generally has gone on to win the White House. When it has fallen, the incumbent party has generally lost. And since 1928, this trend has broken just three times, an 87% success rate, and hasn't missed since 1980, end quote. Very interesting. That is a sobering conversation right there. Folks, we have to do it. But know this, we will be right back with more Money on Tap. And uh, has been talked about. We've got a lot more to uncover here. We've had some fun talking about uh, performance and some of the some of the correlation here with a Democratic or a Republican uh, candidate and or an incumbent or a um, a, a new uh, candidate coming in. We're going to come right back and talk about the platforms and get down to some of the nitty gritty here, folks. That's what it's all about. You're listening to Money on Tap. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. Hi, my name is Ben Brayshaw, one of the co-hosts of Money on Tap. If you have questions when it comes to your retirement and are looking for a personalized solution, contact us at Brayshaw Financial Group. In today's volatile stock market, we can help you plan to find your successful retirement solution. Am I saving enough? Am I saving into the right places? Do my investments match my appetite for risk? Do I have a tax strategy that is going to help me keep more of what I earn? How can I maximize my Social Security income? If you are like most people, you are getting closer and closer to your retirement and may be wondering if you're taking the right steps. If you're in retirement, you may be wondering, am I maximizing my income while preserving my estate and caring for my family? We talk about all things financial in what we call three-dimensional investing, putting a plan around your financial future. If you feel that now is the time to start getting the answers to some of these questions for your own situation, give us a call at Brayshaw Financial Group at 855-226-8551. Headquartered in Bedford, New Hampshire, we have offices throughout New England and across the country. We would love the opportunity to show you how we can help. There's absolutely no cost or obligation just to meet with us, and we welcome you to our office. Call us at 855-226-8551. Now back to Money on Tap with Ben and Seth. Welcome back. You're listening to Money on Tap. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. We're jumping right back into Trump versus Biden. And Dan, you've done a great job in researching sectors and how this is a, a, a big deal in either one of these scenarios moving forward. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I think we mentioned earlier that they couldn't really be more polar opposite candidates. But really, you know, in, in taking a look at the sectors and in which sections of the economy and the market in general are, are likely to perform, it really comes down to two key considerations. It's it's taxes, it's tariffs, and then a third one is, is deregulation, which with Trump, I mean, I think we all understand where his platform is and uh, will be kind of more of the same from where we're at. But if you look at it from a sector perspective, you know, he, he certainly favors the fossil fuel industry, right? So oil and gas, you think, would continue to perform uh, presuming we recover from this COVID thing and, and a lot of our travel industry gets back up. Financials, industrials, you know, Trump is obviously favored trying to bring back manufacturing to the states, which which boosts that industrial sector tremendously. And one of the things that's interesting, too, with the deregulation is that the uh, the small, the mid-cap, the, the, the kind of smaller-sized businesses seem to really favor that lack of regulation and and some of the things he's done has been tremendously in support of of that segment of the economy 
and we look at technology that's that's been generally neutral real estate's been neutral and and they expect that to be the future outlook as well uh and then looking at biden on, on the other end of the ticket you know the industries that would would likely rebound or or see a spike given his winning the election would be chinese stocks right the the china stocks which would fare better presumably with a, a little less of the tariff pressure Clean energy, of course, you know, with the, with the whole green movement, he's a big supporter of that. Pharmaceuticals, healthcare, defense stocks, and utilities are all expected to rise, you know, if he were to win and, and unseat Trump. So it's gold. Gold, that's right. <laughs> Flight to safety. No, I'm just busting <laughs> chops. But, um, you know, it's interesting, though, that I don't think that I have seen – I think the one piece about the sector comparison here is I haven't seen – a more polar sector scenario between two candidates before, because I mean, in previous scenarios, there would be some that would pretty much overlap as opportunities, you know, where you might say, Hey, you know, clean energy is potentially an opportunity or farm is potentially an opportunity with both candidates. That would be a safe sector to move to almost irrelevant of who gets in. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of how, the industry really looks at this stuff, especially hedge funds. They look at they look at the overlap and say, "Hey, you know what? The safe plays here if we want to be in." Yeah, really, not a lot of middle ground this year. Not a lot. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the piece in the market that makes this such a vulnerable position based on who gets elected and, and how your your assets are invested. I mean, if you're if you're heavy, you know, energy. I mean, unless it's utilities. You know, if you're oil and gas heavy because the market's been pushed down, which I like oil and gas. I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a long-term oil and gas user. I mean, I, I mean, I think that that industry does come back as soon as you know airlines come back. I mean, we've got all these future retirees and retirees that still want to do their, you know, European vacations and take their cruises, and, and people want to do that once this all kind of blows over. And uh, you know, that demand for the oil and gas, I think, comes back at you know. Strong thresholds. As much, I don't know. But uh, I don't think we're going to be where we're at today. And uh, that's why I'm an, op- you know, an optimist in that area. But with a Biden election, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a real problem. Well, you know, one, one thing is, you know, the consumption there, of course, is, is a key driver. But regulation is another, mm. you know. And, um, you know, clearly these two candidates are on total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of fossil fuel regulation. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think the one piece about it is that, you know, year over year, this is the first year we'll have less gas, less oil consumption in the United States than any preceding year because of the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders. But even with the previous year where we still had more oil consumption as a country than we did the previous year, and we had the highest clean energy initiatives we've ever had, so more and more clean energy is getting created. But I think that speaks to the amount of oil consumption we are just absolutely dependent upon. You know, the infrastructure has just never been strong enough. I think I think you make a great point about China. I mean, if 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 more solar does come down the way, that's definitely going to push opportunities in China for infrastructure just just by the the creation of the panels. Yeah, you know, that's that's a, a subsector of of the of the sector itself, but um considering the fact that, you know, in all likelihood China will manufacture these solar panels and and Americans will install them. But, you know, getting back to the point regarding, you know, gas consumption, regardless of how green an instrument it is, you know, you still got to ship it across the ocean. You still got to load it onto a truck and drive it to where it's going. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I was I was uh, I was out and about around this gentleman who's a who drives a truck for a living, and you know, he was we were just chatting about how um, how crucial that industry of transportation is. I mean, we are every American should be thankful for every person willing to go out and drive for us and get the stuff we need all over the country because it just doesn't happen that way with any, even even if you're loading trains to get stuff across the country it's still going to get loaded onto a truck and get shipped somewhere and um there's a lot of oil consumption there hey, yeah I, I heard if you you know own a moving company you get a lamborghini so you know i like that <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about taxes you guys uh what are some of the different okay the 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 general or the gist that i've seen is if you're if you're over making over $400,000 Basically, Biden is 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 going to have some significant increases in your taxes, and the corporate tax rate is going to be going up uh, from thirty. Uh, excuse me, from the twenty one to twenty eight percent. Right, that's huge. That's a huge difference in the corporate tax rate. But the top tax bracket uh, currently, right now, thirty seven percent, moving up to back to thirty nine point six. And if uh, you make over four hundred k. There's uh, there's going to also be social security tax there. Yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff going on as you're mentioning there, Seth. I think I think if I were to jump into to the Trump conversation to just kind of create a baseline of this, you know, when Trump came in, he created a number of tax cuts, both corporate and personal. He increased uh, the child deductions. Um, he made them, um, you know, basically they were credits. They were not just a, you know, they were, they, they literally came off the amount of money you owed, which was a different type of tax, which was more beneficial for the average person who had children. And, um, and it basically he wants to keep these tax cuts flat. Like, so, so when Obama was president, the corporate tax rate was 35%. In Trump's administration, they lowered it to 21. Okay. Um, Pretty much Trump's remain as is. Would, would we all agree on that for the most part, other than the, the payroll short-term tax cut he's looking at? Yeah, not a lot of changes to the platform suggested that um, that we've seen in black and white anyway. So, yeah, I think the expectation would be, you know, should he remain in power, that, you know, it would um, the, the tax scenario, the lay of the land would remain the same. I think the, the, the one thing that might change, he, he wants to find more stimulus. There's, there's some level of stimulus package that is, is being sought after, and whether they get it through the payroll tax cut, the short-term tax cut or not, I, I have no idea. I'm not necessarily – I don't have – I don't really have a solid pro or con opinion on that. But we had chatted about this offline about how um, the 2% cut they made – what was that? 2011. Yeah. That didn't really seem to do much. You know, the I think one of the reasons Trump has kind of struggled with this payroll tax holiday suggesting is, is really twofold. One, it further defunds Social Security, which is a major issue for all of us. And another point I thought was interesting and I saw is, you know, really the the most harmed element of our economy, the people who are unemployed. And that's not going to help them. Yeah. They don't have a paycheck. Exactly. I agree with that. Totally. I do think that this is trying to figure out ways to help. I mean, it, this is really, I think, I think what the, the hope here is, is that by doing the payroll short-term tax cut, that that would reduce the employer side of the financials that would allow them to afford potentially more employees to rehire. I think that's the whole... Yeah, I think there's, there's generally two directions around the stimulus, and, and Trump's point is to reduce the burden on small businesses in the hopes that they hire, and more Biden's platform is just send the money direct and, and hope people spend it. You guys, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Um, kind of some takeaways, I think. It's important for us to lay out uh, 
not just all of the art- articulation of these numbers here, but just some takeaways for people that they can understand as they're going about their daily lives. What is this going to look like for us? Well, I think I think the the piece about with Biden and, and how this is going to look is that you know there's basically his his proposal is raising taxes on a number of different areas that will create somewhere between and there's a number of different estimates but I would just say between 3 and 4 trillion dollars over the next 10 years um and and that pretty much has to do with a couple of little abc's one is to raise the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. So he's not bringing it back to the Obama levels, but he's bringing it to 28. Um, he's taking the the top tax bracket, as you mentioned earlier, Seth, from that 37% to the 396 that it used to be. Um, pretty much not going to happen, not, not going to affect the average Joe for the most part, right? I would say that that's, this is definitely more... I mean, well, if you're a corporation and you're the average Joe, yeah, that would that would affect you a little bit. But... Um, the big piece here is the Social Security item. And I think this is the thing that some of our listeners would find completely irrelevant to them. And then some might say, wow, that's really a, an issue I need to address with my CPA. But one of the things is, is that Social Security tax on like a self-employed individual, the, the, the person, it stops at 137000 That's right. Yeah, 137000 And so if a husband and wife each make 137000 they're both paying Social Security tax to that number. After that, they don't pay Social Security tax anymore. That's as the current tax code sits. So if a wife stays at home and a husband makes you know $200,000, they're only paying Social Security tax on that first 137000 And you'll find a lot of self-employed people won't give their spouse a paycheck because of that reason. But the uh, the move here is is that Social Security tax would restart. So you'd, you'd get Social Security tax up to 137000 and then it would restart again at 400000 That's right. Now, the interesting plan here is, let's say you're a self-employed person making you know $500,000 and your wife stays at home and you're using that Social Security piece. What you might want to do is stop your income at $400,000 and then pay your wife the other $100,000 to get her one social security credits and also get her some income level items in her social security benefits. That might be one piece to look at in that scenario. Interesting take. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Folks, you've heard it from Dan, you've heard it from Ben, and you've heard it from me. This is the uh, Trump versus Biden show. It has been a lot of fun bringing some of these numbers here to you today. I cannot wait to see what happens next. It is an exciting time of our life. Dan, thanks for being here. Appreciate it, Seth. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for us at Money on Tap. Make it a great week. On this Cliff Notes edition of Money on Tap, Ben and Seth look at an all-too-familiar scam that so often targets social media. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever clicked on an email and before you knew it, you were carried away into the ethos of the web before you knew it, you're in some site that that is asking you for some personal financial information and and all of a sudden your alarms go off in the back that say, oh my gosh, I think I've had that experience as a matter of fact. And then there's the fear that comes alongside of that where you you're you're watching your and monitoring your bank accounts or your social media accounts or what whatever's out there with your information on it wondering who's now emailing all of your friends 
dire straits emails telling them that you're, you know, locked up in a jail in Antarctica and need $50,000 to get out. <laughs> so <laughs> sounds personal there, Seth. <laughs> this, oh, my gosh. It's the book that I'm writing right now. So um, not really. <laughs> but anyways, there's, if you know anybody that has an email address or has a social media account, they've probably had something that's similar to this. Okay, so I think we've all seen some level of social media. If you're on social media, you've seen scams. Probably the most current one is the COVID by tricking people to you know, do something regarding it. A picture or an ad or something helps somebody. It'll be something along those lines. It's really a identity theft. That's really their number one issue is trying to grab your identity. And, and everything that is the core of what they're trying to do. Yeah, there may, there may not be an outcome just from the social media scam immediately, right? The, the goal usually is kind of a, a multi-tiered or a layered type of a scam. And the end goal is to get as much of your information as possible, right? They can then turn into some other outcome down the road, like which is the ultimate of, of the payoff here. I'm thinking of somebody direct messaged me. Right. Not somebody that I talk to on social media or frequently, but all of a sudden I've got this this but, message that pops but someone up you might trust, somebody you yeah. think you trust. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, hey, well, it's good to hear from you. Yeah. As a matter of fact, this has happened on a couple of different social media platforms to me where they were direct you know, messaging me and. I had to stop what I was doing. First of all, I'm I'm a pretty social, talkative, polite person. If you're reaching out to say hi to me, unless your name's Ben Brayshaw, I might have a conversation with you. <laughs> and so, but the but the conversation was so kind of vanilla, like not really going anywhere. I just I said, hey, uh, this is my protection for myself, is just to make sure that I wasn't being rude. I just said, hey, could you tell me? the last time or where we met, you know, something that both of us would know, right? And uh, that was an immediate shutdown to the conversation. Clearly, it wasn't the person on the other end. It was somebody that, that they had gotten hacked or whatever. But that was an attempt right there to go ahead and get information from me. And uh, it really did look very legitimate. So uh, it was not something that posed an immediate threat to me. But it was the process of building that towards that end where it could land like that. Thanks for joining us for this Cliff Notes edition of Money on Tap with great tips from the pros in three-dimensional investing, utilizing insurance, brokerage, and fee-based planning. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Money on Tap. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. Also, we're in a podcast. You can find us at any of the podcast venues out there. We appreciate the likes and the listens. We're also at Facebook at backslash 3D investing and Twitter at BFG underscore LLC. Thanks for joining us with Money on Tap. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of this radio station and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. No strategy, product, material, or tool mentioned can assure a profit or protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information, products, materials, or tools mentioned should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. 
results. This show may be subsidized in whole or in part by a product sponsor or issuer. Securities and advisory services offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, and a registered investment advisor. All other services offered through Brayshaw Financial Group, LLC, are independent of SagePoint Financial. SagePoint Financial and Brayshaw Financial Group do not provide tax or legal advice. Main office is located at 116 South River Road, Bedford, New Hampshire. 03110 and can be reached at toll free 855 226 8551.